and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, our guest is someone who makes a great impression on every software developer he works with. It is my pleasure to welcome the VP of Engineering at MRCs, Andres Finca. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. It's great to be here and with you, and thanks for the invitation, Carolina. We are glad to have you here. You've been walking the ranks at MRCs for over six years. Please tell us about what you do and what you're passionate about. I can say that I'm almost an adult in the software development scene because I'm in there for more than 17 years. I have a master's degree in informatics and I started as a freelance engineer. Later, I became a a co-founder of a small web studio where we build just uh, spectacular portfolio sites and web shops. And it was uh, quite successful because we just expanded our business in, in a very fast way. We hired some engineers and I became their leader. For me, fortunately, for them, I don't know. You can imagine that without a clue or knowledge or consciousness of how to manage people, it was quite fun for me and it was quite an interesting story, but I think it was not quite fun for them. I think I was a little pushy back then and maybe an autocratic leader, but later I invested a lot into my leadership skills. So so I just get over it somehow. So... uh, Later, I switched to Emarsys, which is my current workplace as well, because I really wanted to work on new problems and new changes, especially where I can build a real product. Because back then, uh, with my previous uh, workplace, we worked on short-term contracts with, with the projects, which was very interesting because we could try out different technologies in, in a monthly basis or sometimes weekly. But working on the same product, it was it is quite interesting. I could try out a lot of different methodologies I really wanted to do to build quality products, such as the test-driven development. And uh, what was really good when I went to Emasis is that uh, I started as a software engineer, which is a, I think is a really good thing for anyone who just switched place and, uh, and not to start as a leader in a new company because I, I had... I had time to learn about the domain, the engineering culture, and, and those other practices. And especially, especially what really motivated me is to gain knowledge about the development culture, which based upon the famous extreme programming agile methodology at Emasis. So it was really new to me, and it was quite interesting to, to meet with it. And, and I think this is one thing which really followed me through my career to exploit all the different practices, disciplines, and values of extreme programming there. And later I became a team leader at Emasis, and and that was the time when I realized how poor leader I was back then at my previous company. You know it when you perceive that people don't want to challenge you, (laughs) and some things which seem to be fun previously for example when i was an engineer i'd really like to hold this baseball bat in in stand-up meetings you know <laughs> for fun nice. i don't know why i don't remember but you can you can imagine as as a leader it it has a totally different look <laughs> right right so so i i just invested a lot into my soft and leadership skills to become a better leader and maybe i was successful in it or my bosses were drunk or i don't know uh, <laughs> but <laughs> 
<laughs> but they risked to promote me to head of engineering a few years later. And then I became the VP of engineering of at Emarsys. When I started to work at Emarsys, we were only 40 something. And when I became head of engineering, we had around the 100 engineers. And currently we have 250 people in the whole R&D. And uh, I'm really proud that I could take part in keeping the agility and the startup feeling of what we had back then when I started to work at Timasis, because it was quite hard, I think, because we not just grew, speaking of the number of people, but the platform itself became really huge and complex. You know, we are building a leading marketing platform with 15 different products integrated. We started with free monolithical application integrated, but now we have more than 450 microservices and a lot of our features are enhanced with AI predictions and, and AI processes. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting story, but it's really hard to keep everything together. Right. And as an executive leader, as an executive, executive leader, my mission is to take care of this engineering culture and uh, keep the development processes agile to improve our efficiency. And, and also I'm, I'm responsible for the overall quality of the product. To fulfill my mission, I also leading our full-time engineering managers. So awesome. basically this is how I came here. Awesome. Yes. And it sounds like you've come a long way in uh, becoming the leader that you are today. And today we are going to talk about leading engineering managers, your job, and, and let's start with your challenges. What's the difference between just managing developers and leading engineering managers? That was one of the first questions I asked from myself when I became head of engineering, because the question was, is it really different? Because I had a pretty solid view of a leader and uh, I thought that, okay, it's, it's one leader for four people. Now I'm also a leader of eight or six people who are engineering managers, but I'm responsible for another 100, for example, in this case. But I have a pretty solid view of a leader, as I said, because of two things. I think a great leader who is inspiring and direct instead of micromanaging and who is dispensable. And I think this is a very similar thing for both of them. You have to be a great leader with these traits. The first one is, I think it's pretty obvious. And it's, this is the classic uh, manager versus leader thing. So don't micromanage, use other kind of techniques to direct your people, to show them away. But the second one, I think it's more interesting. So to be dispensable, because I think if you are dispensable as a leader, it's a very good sign because if you are dispensable and the team can work without you in the same way as they work with you. And it's a good way because it means that you somehow achieved that the team can be fully autonomous and you made some space for people to challenge the processes, to come up with alternative solutions. And if you can reach it, then I think this is some sign of the foundation of a psychological safety in a team. Mm -hmm. And I, I really learned it from my mistakes I made. Uh, or I can say that the missed opportunities <laughs> what I had, because when I was a team leader, I think back then not too many people challenged me. I mean, I wasn't unpopular and it was comfortable for everyone, but I was the default go-to person for anyone outside of the team. And uh, I was who mainly went to different uh, meetings, such as architectural meetings or product-related meetings. 
And I did it because I really wanted to move anything out of the way of my team so they can be really efficient. But on the same time, I made a dependency of the team myself. Mm -hmm. So I think I couldn't make the most out of it. And later, when I realized that was not the best thing, when I just saw one of my engineering managers who created a totally autonomous team, I was really jealous of him, <laughs> I can say. It. And, I, and he really inspired me to do the same with my team later when I made a team of my engineering managers. But what he achieved is that anyone from his team could represent all of the team in different kind of meetings, whether it's an architectural meeting, whether it's a, a backlog grooming, anything. So it's, it's a really good thing. Make yourself dispensable. And why I wanted to emphasize this thing is that I don't think these kind of things are the differences here. What is really different, I think, is the tool set. The real difference between the two roles is the way how you make improvements for the people you are responsible for or, or your other responsibilities. For example, when I was a team lead, I concluded that to be the team lead I wanted to be, I have to sit together with my team and I, I really could do it because they were only four or five people. I could breathe with them. I could code with them. I could operate the same. And when we had to make decisions, when we had to make improvements, we had the chance to sit down, discuss it and execute. But later when I became an executive leader, I didn't have the same privilege to uh, sit down with all the people in, in my organization. Of course, I had an overview of the company, but it means that I have a lot of indirect information and as an executive leader i just can't trust it so i concluded that to be a good leader of engineering managers or an executive leader i have to be on the field somehow and i have to get a lot of information and what i did is that i kept a lot of connections to people so i just proactively reach out to to people not just my engineering managers but to developers to system engineers and to to anyone else who I am responsible for indirectly. Uh, I really like to do uh, skip level one-on-ones, for example, when you talk directly to the engineers and not through engineering managers. And also I made uh, one goal for myself. I really want to know the people. So when you are a team leader to do your job very well, you have to know the people, you have to learn everything from them. So you have to learn uh, their moods, their behavior, and a lot of these things. And it really allows you to make better decisions. But as an executive leader, you cannot do it because there are too many people. But I made a goal to have at least one or two things, anecdotes, stories of everybody in my department. So not just to learn the names, it's a basic thing for me, even if they are more than 100, but to have some stories around them and, and it really helps me. And I think it really helps them as well because these stories usually have some connections to me as well. So it usually are common stories, which may be a joint effort to solve a little problem or, or just we drink a beer together somewhere. So I mean, these kind of things. The best thing would be for an executive leader is to sit together with the team, so to find time to sit uh, with the teams, spend a couple of days with them, do the same things, just to see with your eyes how they are working, what problems they have. But I'm not proud that I couldn't find the time to do this. 
but I really encourage my engineering managers who are responsible for two or three teams to sit together with their teams and learn the problems to really understand these. Mm-hmm. And finally, to make the decisions, I said that as a team leader, you, it's, it's really easy to do it with your team, but as an executive leader, you need to get support from everyone to do this and to have the support you have to convince everybody especially your engineering managers so they can represent it in front of their people i think this is the biggest difference the two set how you do the same but there are a lot of similarities between the two roles mm-hmm. so when you started out as an executive we touched upon this a little bit and i would like to ask you about what the transition was like from managing developers to leading managers. Is there anything that you would point us to that you wish you had known when you became the leader of engineering managers? That would be good to know a lot of things. What I really knew is that it will be a a roller coaster. You know, roller coaster have some bumps and peaks. This is the same with your way in a transition from one role to to another. So there will be bumps and peaks in your way and uh, sometimes it will smooth and other times there will be a lot of problems coming from nowhere. Uh, So the first time when I became head of engineering, I felt that I had success with my team and I can really understand my engineering managers. I tend to be a good leader. I I felt that I know enough. I don't want to be in their way. I delegated a lot and then everything seemed to happen in a really good way. But then things can happen which really messes up these things so it can be a change you make a new process you want to introduce or for example you have to move people around from one team to another because of uh, tension between two people for example it's it's a usual thing i think what can surprise you is the reaction from the organization here uh, because Sometimes you just can't convince people and sometimes you won't have time to convince all the people before a change. So uh, people don't buy it. And when these kind of things happen, your reflexes start to work. And to keep things alive, you have to move fast. And when you move fast, uh, the only quick way for someone who starts in such a role is to micromanage. This is what you really don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So you will be disappointed <laughs> and it will be a, a huge disappointment that what you just did. But what you should know is that it was a bump and you have to get over it. I learned that there will be other problems like this, uh, but uh, the only thing you can do is to learn from them and try to avoid them next time. And what is really, really important is to realize in an executive role that you cannot do something which is good for everyone. You have to live with denial. It's basically a really hard thing for people like me. There will be disappointments and, and you have to be prepared for it. I was prepared for it, I think. So I just had to learn my feelings or how to control my feelings about it. But there was something which really surprised me because I never read about it before. And it was the solitude. I didn't know that the usual partner of being an executive leader is solitude. When you became an executive leader, you just lose something other team leaders has. So it happened when I had been head of engineering for half year. And I felt one day, or it was a longer process, of course, that I felt that I'm just a little step away from a total burnout. I really 
knew that there is something, there is a problem, but I, I couldn't find what was the problem exactly. I felt overwhelmed. I, I, I felt that I can't finish anything. I couldn't decide. And, and when I eventually make decisions, I didn't feel safe. So at one night in the midst of my agony, I just started to write down all of my duties, tasks, initiatives, everything which I couldn't finish. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, you know, a lot of stuff. There were hundreds of items in the paper. I just stopped at some time and I started to categorize them. And I made uh, 20 categories and almost uh, 80 subcategories. And I buried my face in my hand, face in my hands. And I, the only thing I could, I could think is that what am I doing? It was insane. I felt that I couldn't do anything with it. I just grabbed my list. And the uh, next day I reached out to my boss and, and mentor to go out for a coffee or beer. He saw that I was upset. So, so we could really get into the conversation about these things in short. But I threw everything on him, you know, the list, the tasks, everything. And I tell him that I'm thinking of resigning of my role because I, I can't handle these things. And uh, I realized how good leader he was because he remained silent. When I finished my rage, <laughs> he just asked one question to me. Why do you want to solve it by yourself? And of course, I, I objected. I said that, oh, you know, I don't want to do it. Uh, I delegated a lot, but the teams and my man managers are also overwhelmed. There is no other place to delegate uh, these tasks. Of course, I can throw half of them out uh, from the scope, but I, I can shrink my list, but, but I cannot do the other half. And uh, as I said these things with a lot of emotions, I just realized how lonely I was in this role. And uh, somehow it just paralyzed me. And this way, I just paralyzed my managers. And at the end of the day, it harmed all the development teams as well. My revelation was that it isn't supposed to be that way. I don't have to be lonely in my position and in my decisions. So I came up with the best idea I've ever had <laughs> to get a team from somewhere. Because, you know, I had engineering managers, I had people, I have reports, and we had one-on-ones and we tried to solve things individually, but it was not a team. It, I just didn't make a real team. I mean, a team who breathe and, and live together somehow and make common decisions. It came to my mind that I can really create a, a, a good team of, of the other managers. Mm -hmm. How I proceed is that I dropped my list and I wanted to start with a blank page. I laid down the ground rules and uh, I started to organize ceremonies with them. We thought a lot about what would be the good for the company and for, for this team as well. And uh, every one of them was excited to work together and to share information and share knowledge with each other. So what we did is that, and we keep these processes until now, that we have a regular meeting every every week. It's one and a half hours, so it's it's a massive meeting. But we drop all the information about mood, people, culture, things, everything into into the same bucket at the beginning of this meeting. And then then we choose some of them and we make decisions together. And it's really good. So it's really good that that now I felt that I didn't have to make decisions which are totally up to me because 
they can really back up me on these kind of mm-hmm. things. Another thing which really helped me is that I just said out loud that this is the team where any any of my engineering managers can have a direct global impact to the organization. So it must be the first team for them and not the other teams they are working with. Of course, I'm responsible for their time. So I don't want to spend too much time with it. So they can they can spend it with with their people. But when we have meetings, they, they have to uh, represent themselves in, in these and, and they have to help each other to move forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, I really feel myself safe on my decisions as well. I think I can proudly say that we have less organizational stress since then. And uh, as I said, I think my decisions are backed up with a lot of wise engineering managers and people. And the last thing is that I can really escalate things to the C-level management and I will have arguments and reasons which came not just from me, but from a lot of people who are responsible for other people. And this way we can really represent the whole organization and and not just the management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that story. Yeah. I don't know if there is a happy story of such a transition. I struggled a lot. Still, I think it's totally worth it as, as I, I learned a lot, especially about myself. Yeah, it sounds like you, you've come a long way and that you actually made something bigger than yourself, perhaps, if we can, if we can say that. <laughs> so this came from the question of, you know, what you wish you would have known. What should a new leader of managers do in their first 60 days? What challenges should they prepare for? Um, This was a very enlightening story about you have to depend on the people around you, but but what else would you share? Is there a checklist for the first 60 days that you would recommend us? I don't have such a checklist, but I know one important thing, and I really feel that I just hack your questions there, but this thing is what to avoid in your very first days. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what you have to avoid is to solving things in the early days. And it's very hard because when you move to a position like this, uh, you want to prove yourself. And it's very hard to resist your desires and, uh, and these things. But basically, you have to stop, you have to watch and learn, feel the heartbeat of the organization, or maybe the lack of it. Don't try to imagine the best company or the best processes, but you have to look at the current culture, the current development processes, the people around you. You have to forget for some time your previous experiences, and which is especially important where you are from another company and starting in this executive leadership role in your new company. Because if you do changes in your early days, based upon these things, it will be counterproductive, especially if you force your experience methods or processes or practices to people. What I suggest to to people who start in this role, the very early days, you have to learn how things are happening around you and you just slowly adapt your experiences to the areas where it's really needed. And you have to find these areas as well. Mm -hmm. So besides that, I think the, your next step, so basically this is the first step because the zero step is not doing anything, just watch. <laughs> so the first step is is that, as I mentioned before, you need information uh, to do your job. And to have information about the organization, you have to make communication channels and you have to build up your social network in the organization. 
I mentioned that I really like to have skip level one-on-ones and uh, it's a really good idea to sit into the teams for a while, but you really need to, to build up your channels to get the plenty of information you need to do your job well. Another crucial step which you can do or, or crucial things you have to mind in your very first days and later on, but you can start it at day zero is to gain trust. So it's really important that if you want to do your job in a good way, as an executive leader, you have to gain trust. There are different ways to gain trust and there are different parties you have to gain their trust. One is, of course, your engineering managers. So you have to gain their trust as well. And then you have to give them trust, of course. So to gain that trust is, I think, the best way is to have very good one-on-ones with them. If you do the same I do now, so to build a team where, where you can do all the reporting stuff, all the operational things and, and make decisions together, then your one-on-ones can be a place where you can show the person behind the boss and you can get to know each other. You know, you, you can know the human side of the other and you can do these events to give and ask feedback, ask for feedback. And what is really good in these occasions that this is a really safe and good place to hold them accountable for different things, for what they said or what they do. And you have to encourage them and emphasize that uh, you are accountable as well, what you do as an executive leader and what you said as an executive leader. So in in this safe place of a one-on-one, you have to really mind these things and get to know each other really well. Mm-hmm. The other thing is to build trust with the whole department. It's very hard. It's it's more hard than the, with the engineering managers because not, because now we are speaking a lot of people, especially if you don't have a background in the company, it's more hard to you. But one thing you can do is to be honest in, in any kind of action or speech you have and uh, as transparent as you can be. How I proceed with it is that I regularly speak in town halls and I I really want to share the most up-to-date information about the changes the engineering management want to do. We have discussion groups as well when people can freely ask questions. I have an open door policy so anyone can go into my office and, and ask questions. I make myself accountable in these situations so they can criticize me if they want to do it for something. And also, I really like to write engineering management newsletters or my engineering management really used to do these things because this way we can emphasize every week one or two things which is important for people to understand, to see, just to keep the flow of the information uh, throughout the department. The other thing which can really help you to build a trust with, with the whole department is to make yourself vulnerable and speak about your mistakes and not just in one-on-ones but in front of a larger audience so i had a lot of initiatives and i i think that at least the third but maybe half of them were unsuccessful <laughs> and i really take myself into situations when i talk about these mistakes and talk about these problems i really ask for help uh, from the others so if anyone can have ideas to move for- forward with something they can really reach out to me mm-hmm. So these are the most important thing, which I think you can do from these day zero. And of course, the usual things which I really encourage 
people who get into this role is to read a lot of books and learn from podcasts about leadership as a skill set and and um, the tool set of great leaders because it's it's really a valuable thing. Right. Listen to podcasts like this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this podcast. Yeah. So you surely made it sound like you work a lot on improving yourself and becoming a better executive leader. What are some of the characteristics of your engineering managers? What are some great and not so great behaviors that you have to watch out for as their executive? What are some of the things that, that your engineering managers struggle with and how do you help them to continuously improve? How do you guide them? <laughs> that was a lot of questions, but let's start with, with how does it look like to be a great engineering manager? I don't know. Did I mention trust? <laughs> I really don't want to overuse it, but I, I really have one trait, I think, which is really important for great engineering managers, and this is consistency. So you have to be consistent. You have to know your values and you have to align your values with the company values as well. And you must keep it clear. And it means sometimes you have to make harsh decisions and sometimes you have to make no for different things or resist the lobbyists, but you have to be consistent in these things. So one example is when I had to say no to approving a new programming language, for example, into my company, because on the one hand, we are proud of that engineers can try out new things and bring them in. But on the other hand, I must keep my eyes on the problems caused by the broad stack of our technologies. We have now more than 10 different programming languages, and sometimes it's very hard to find new engineers for different teams. So it's a really complicated thing for me. And sometimes I have to block one language or, or I have to block languages coming in or requests to have these in our stack. But the problem is that if you block one programming language, then you must block the other similar requests as well, because you won't be consistent. Mm -hmm. So what I did is that I'm really open to these requests, but I expect that the people must convince me with really professional arguments and prove that the task they want to use this new technology would be, would be very hard or impossible to fulfill in any of our current stacks. Mm -hmm. And this is the way I can keep consistency. It's open to, to introduce new things here, but because we have problems in these things, for example, with our broad range of technologies, then I made it harder to, to introduce new ones. And I think it brings us to another good trait, which is really hard to do in real life, is to be really determined, but you have to have compassion with it. And what does it mean is that I have to be responsible for what, what I say, what I do, or what I decide. For example, back to the last example, if I had to say no to something, but I must be transparent, honest, and, and I owe them an explanation. I, I owe the, the people with an explanation why I or the engine management decided this thing. And sometimes this uh, being determined with compassion means that sometimes you have to make harsh decisions, uh, which can be decision against professional reasons in favor of the human side. 
for example, if you keep more people in a team because uh, you know that they could resolve their problems with less people and other teams are really need engineers as well, but you have to keep them together because of personal things, because this is how they efficient right now. And you must override the professional reasons with the, the human ones. Hmm. But if um, you are consistent with that, then... <laughs> I mean, I'm consistent with that, yes, <laughs> but it's really hard to find consistency in some things or just to know uh, what does it mean in different, uh, in different things. And I have an ultimate trait for engineering managers or, mm-hmm. or any kind of leaders, I think. This is self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's a really important thing because if you have self-reflection, which means that you continuously inspect yourself, everything you do, you say, you inspect yourself and uh, look at what is your impact to the others, even the tiniest emotions you cause to someone. This is a really good way to learn. And this is as good as as feedback from others, because sometimes it's hard to learn to to ask for feedback and to give feedback for someone. But uh, self-reflection is one thing which you can practice all day. So you have to be really conscious about it. You have to sit down at the end of the day this is what i i do i I just sit down and and think of what i did that day what was the impact of of what i just said and i can say that you can really suffer when you face all the mistakes you just made one day (laughs) these tiny ones and these kind of things but i really think that with great self-reflection you can really improve yourself and with less feedback you can get from others Mm -hmm. so it's a really good thing Of course, you have to get feedback from the others as well, because self-reflection can direct you to wrong way if you just perceive things uh, in in not the realistic way. So (laughs) you have to check it back with the others. But anyway, it's a really good thing. It's a useful skill. How does a bad leader look like? I can say it's the total opposite. So if you are close-minded, egocentric or determined, but without compassion, you are, I think, a bad leader and you don't want to be a bad leader, so please improve on these. <laughs> <laughs> and you just asked, what are the engine managers struggle with and how I guide them? Yeah. So basically, there are two things, which is a usual thing. They come to me, they reach out to me. One is that they have problems with decision making. So they are struggling with the decision. They cannot decide on A or B, you know. What you have to do in this kind of situation is is the same as my leader did on the transition phase. So, so when he just keep quiet and listen to me. So this is what you have to do. Keep quiet and listen to them and maybe ask some questions for clarification, but, but they will come up with, with a solution. Just mm-hmm. try to not force your ideas, your solutions to them, because it's a really great learning opportunity to them to, to come up with a solution by themselves. So what is really important is that if they have the ownership, so it's enough that they are struggling with that problem and you can direct them to find their answer and uh, you have to prevent forcing your thoughts into them in these things. The other thing is that usually they are overwhelmed. So uh, they reach out to you that they have a lot of things. They don't know what to do next. It's pretty familiar from my story. (laughs) Of course, at the end of the day, it turns out that they want to solve everything by themselves. So the good thing is that I can always say the same I just did. 
eventually. So to build your team, because my engineering managers are responsible for two or three teams, uh, they can really make uh, make a team of the team list they are responsible for. So I, I encourage them to make a leader team or a team of leaders. I encourage them to drop different things from their list to shrink their tasks. And I really propagate the idea that you have to let fires burn behind you. So <laughs> it's a really good thing if you can just focus on one thing and it's acceptable to throw others. Mm-hmm. So I help prioritize them and then I encourage them to find the most important task and focus on it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's a lot about people and communications. And it sounds like you're really helping your managers to think outside what's usually set with managerial roles, becoming one of a team and and not just deciding for yourself and and having all the conclusions, but and the consequences. But um, what about expectations? How do you measure performance or how do you set expectations for your managers? I think the expectations must be clear. So if you are any kind of leader, this is one of the first thing you have to do with your people is to sit down and talk about the expectations to the other. So what you can expect from them and what they expect from you. As an executive leader in my team with the engineering managers, we are talking a lot about these expectations in our meetings and in our one-on-ones. We are tend to be really honest and uh, very straight on these. So sometimes these are really passionate discussions. As I said, it's really important to discuss it together as well to clarify what are the expectations towards the upper management, for example, towards your leaders. And besides that, what I usually do is to have at least one full day workshop every year dedicated to iteration of our role definition, expectations and practices. So this is a really good thing to just improve ourselves. Also, it's a really good thing in our development teams that they have regular retrospective meetings every week. And this is one practice you can do in any kind of team. And you should do retrospective meetings with engineering managers as well. And it would be good for C-level managers and everything. Mm-hmm. I think everything can be solved with good retrospective <laughs> meetings. Yeah. Yeah. So on the other hand, measuring performance, that's a very good question. <laughs> and uh, this is maybe the hardest one for anyone in this role and in any kind of engineering management role, I think. I really want to know what can be the best way or at least a good metric for measuring performance or or metric for the performance of an engineering manager. If you want to stick to numbers, what I think is is to have some kind of numbers about product delivery rate, and you can somehow attribute your engineering managers to this. So if, for example, an engineering manager is responsible for two or three teams and they deliver something, if they can deliver more or less in the next quarter, you can attribute it somehow to the engineering manager. So I think you can assume that the trend of these changes from quarter to quarter are up to your managers. It's not 100% thing, but they totally have control over this. So they can do something with it, or at least they can escalate things if they are struggling with something. Mm-hmm. But for me, I try to do these things, but I don't have very objective numbers and metrics for this. I don't have exact numbers, but 
what I do is to gather feedback about my engineering managers and that I carefully look whether my engineering managers have ownership or not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in, in Skip Level one-on-ones, if their engineers tell me that their manager is responsible and a trustable person, when I see that they know what's happening in their team, so when I see when my engineering managers know what's happening in their area and they understand their projects and I can ask anything, I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. Also, what can be a, a sign for performance maybe just for performance problems, is if you carefully watch or look at the mood of the organization. So, for example, if the engine management introduces a a new thing, for example, a global process change, it can be a surprise or a negative thing for the people as changes are, you know, usually negative for most of us. But it's up to me and also up to the engineering managers as well to show the opportunity of this change and to convince the organization that it will be for their sake. So if concerns remain somewhere, it can be a sign of a performance problem of this manager Mm -hmm. or something you must address somehow. So this is how I measure or look after the performance of the engineering managers. Mm -hmm. And so when you figure something out that needs to be improved, How do you help your engineering managers improve? I am assuming you do one-on-ones. Yeah, so this is why I really make them accountable for this. So we start discussion about things, how, how I see it, how they see it. There are some times when they don't see the same things as problems as I, and I'm open to listen to their reasoning so they can convince me that this is a good way to do. I help them in a way that if I see that they have ownership and they are really passionate about a solution or something they did, I just let it that way. And sometimes it turns out that they were true. They just really deliver this thing in a really good way. And sometimes it turns out that, yeah, it was a mistake. But what I expect is that they will learn from it and next time they will avoid it. And because all of them have really good ownership on this thing, I'm I'm pretty sure that they will learn from this problem. So basically, I give them space for their solutions and for mistakes as well. It sounds like you have a lot of trust in your engineering managers, and it's not just them who need to, you know, have trust in you. Would you give us a tip about how you measure your own performance or what constitutes of you being successful in your position? Yeah, it's even better. <laughs> it's even even harder. <laughs> I think it's pretty much the same as how I measure the performance of the engineering managers. So I try to attribute my work to somehow the de- delivery of, of the teams so they can make me accountable for what I did and I, I gather feedback for what I did, which is a really good tool and I have a, a control over it is to have self reflection, as I said. So I think self-reflection is also a good tool to measure your performance and success. Mm-hmm. And speaking of success, I think most of the time it could be obvious to have success in these things. The hard part is that you won't see it because all of what you do as an executive manager indirectly impacts the organization. So if, for example, if you do something with the engineering management and maybe it was your idea or you just step back from the way of the others so they can fulfill their ideas to improve the efficiency of the teams, in yourself, you have to learn to attribute these things 
a little bit to yourself, not just to notice the bad things around you and skip the good ones, which is a usual thing for a lot of people, including me, is to carefully look at the success of the people around you and find little things how you can connect to it. And I think why is, why is it really important is to keep yourself sane. And uh, I think this is what I can suggest to those who are in a similar role and depressed about their unclear performance. <laughs> I hope after they listen to us, they're not going to be depressed. Would you add anything else to leading managers who are listening to us? I think we pretty much covered everything. So thank so you for great. allowing me to talk about these if you want to know from me, uh, then you can follow me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. My username is at Dravain with W. You can meet me on the craft meetup, which we used to have in Budapest in the Imarsis office. We have pretty amazing topics from the world of software craftsmanship. And finally, you can read from me and my team members in our blog at craftlab.hu. Awesome. We will be sure to check those out. and. Hopefully we can hear from you in one of these meetups. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for staying with us. Today, our guest was Andres Finca, VP of Engineering from MRSYS. I'm Karolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.